I was a coach before I was a teacher. Literally, I volunteered as a football coach right after I graduated from high school. I played three years of high school and four years of college football, and I had position coaches, coordinators, and head coaches all involved in my development as a player. Some of my coaches were good. Some weren't. But I was reliant on them in a way that's hard to explain. Today's episode is about growing veteran teachers, but we're going to invest most of our time and attention into examining the coaching relationship rather than the technical aspects of coaching. Why? Why talk about the relationship instead of the actual nuts and bolts of working with veteran teachers? I think you already know the answer. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email, and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Let's begin with celebrations. Today, I'm celebrating new beginnings upon new beginnings. One of the awesome things about being an educator is just that feeling of every fall when things come around and things begin new, and we all have that clean slate and that chance. And we then get a second opportunity coming out of winter break when we come back to school in January and again have that opportunity to reset. So those are the new beginnings. But then I also said I'm celebrating new beginnings upon new beginnings. So what's that second set? The second set of new beginnings are the ones that we get every day. Every morning we get up and we have an opportunity to reset and begin anew for that day. Now, that doesn't mean that we should all be 100% totally fired up be our best selves every day. That's not realistic. Honestly, the last couple weeks here, we've lost some young people in our community and it's been a really, really tough time. And I haven't been at my best each day. But the thing is, is that I have the opportunity. And so today when I got up and feel myself kind of starting to lift out of the sadness and and the pain that we've experienced in our community, Today, I had a new beginning. I didn't have to carry the same pain that I carried yesterday or the day before. So we're blessed in so many ways that we have these new beginnings in the year and for our career, but also that we have a new beginning each morning and we have the opportunity to choose or try to choose to be our best selves. So before we really dive into this whole coaching piece with veteran teachers, let me begin by clarifying some terms and connecting some dots. School leaders have two primary responsibilities. 
keep everybody safe. That has to be number one. But secondly, to help students grow into young adults who are going to have some agency over their lives. Now, since you as a school administrator or instructional coach or district person, since you don't teach kids, the way that you impact kids, the way that you help them gain that agency is by supporting and growing their teachers. So reframing this, school principals, assistant principals, instructional coaches, you have two jobs. Keep everybody safe and support and grow your teachers. Those are the top two things. And if you do those throughout the year, you're going to have a successful school. Now, when I talk about teacher development, you're going to hear me consistently use two words, support and growth. And I use those words intentionally and they mean two different things in my little universe. You may have heard me talk about the six dimensions of organizations, right? Organizations have six dimensions. The most important is, unsurprisingly, people. But then there are also purpose, structures, and resources. And the interplay between those things impacts the work that people are able to do. When people and the purpose of the organization and when the structures and the resources are all aligned, it makes it much easier for people to do the work that really matters. As you're probably thinking right now, there are a lot of times when things aren't aligned, when we get distracted or pushed into other purposes through either politics or individual hijacking of agendas or just losing focus. There are a lot of times when the structures that impact us, both physical and legal and the intangible ones, make it tough for us to actually do that job of focusing in on kids. And then, of course, there's the whole resource piece. So when I talk about supporting teachers, what I'm talking about is actually aligning to the different parts of the organization in order to support the work that teachers do. So making changes to the structures, finding more resources, asking less of teachers so that they can focus more on instruction, making sure that the purposes that we're focused on are consistent with the teacher's mission to help students gain agency. So support is working at the organizational level. Growth is working at the personal level. That is where we help teachers to gain knowledge, to gain skills, to work on their dispositions, and to stay healthy in all of the different ways that are critical. Now, one of the most foundational pieces to being a growth school, a school where you can focus on growing your teachers, is implementation of the flywheel. And the flywheel is a systems piece. It's about structures. It's about resources. It's about purpose. So when we talk about the flywheel, we're talking about supporting teachers because you're building structures within the organization. Remember that flywheel, the way that works is teachers have professional development. Then your instructional leadership team, your ILT, collects data on the implementation of that professional practice that was in the PD. You take that data and work with teachers then to identify the next round of the professional development and you have a cycle. We do PD, we check and see how it goes, we then build on that and take the next step and it goes over and over. And so we get into the cycle of just continuing to improve teachers' practices. And the structure part of that is really about your ILT. Do you have the ILT that meets regularly? Do you have the right people at the table? Do you have the right kind of agenda so you're focused on discussions about teachers? 
do you have systems in place so that you can actually get in and gather that data? And then do you have protocols for how you use that data and how you work with teachers to determine the next steps? That's all the support piece. But the professional development, that's the growth piece. But here's the big conundrum in that system. How do we choose the first professional development? This is an essential question, especially with veteran teachers. Okay, back to coaching for a minute. As an athlete, I was utterly dependent on my coaches. If I couldn't measure up or I couldn't convince them that I was the guy that needed to be in there making the plays, then I wouldn't see the field. They had complete power over my ability to play the game, to be involved. I also, for the most part, assumed that they knew more than I did. So when people were giving me technical pointers about techniques on how to stand up an offensive lineman or how to do rip technique, my assumption was they knew what they were talking about. And so I was really bought in and paid attention. I was also highly motivated to get better, not only so I could see the field, but then so that when I was on the field, I could be successful. And then finally, the power differential between an athlete and a coach at the high school and collegiate level was huge. Like I said, if, if I didn't please my coaches in one way or another, I would never see the field. I could be completely marginalized. So huge power difference. And I contrast that with myself as a teacher, and I'll speak from my own experiences here. Yeah, I was dependent on my principal, but it was a very different kind of dependency, really much more dependent on them for discipline and some of that other stuff more than my teaching. Secondly, I wasn't really convinced my principal knew more than I did, especially as a physical educator. And as a PE teacher, I know that none of my headmasters or principals understood PE the way I did. I knew it. So that's probably resonating with all you specials teachers out there or all of you administrators that are used to working with teachers in those specialty areas. There's also an issue of perception versus reality. Even in social studies, which one of my principals had taught, I still thought that I knew more than they did. That might not have been accurate. It probably wasn't accurate, but it was my perception. And in the sense of whether my principal could coach me or not, my perception was more important than the reality. The other thing that I definitely knew more about than any of my administrators was what I wanted my classroom to be like, what I wanted my teaching to be like, and where my pain points are. I knew more about my own teaching, my own classroom, than my administrators did, and that will almost always be universally true. Also, as a teacher, I was still highly motivated to get better, but I wasn't nearly as dependent on my principal as I was on my coach. I could go do all kinds of things to help improve my teaching. And asking my football coach for extra reps was a plus, but asking my admin for extra attention for my teaching, that could easily be perceived as a negative. And finally, the power differential wasn't as big. I mean, I know that in theory, principals can fire teachers, but I think we know how rare that is. I think we know how much of a case the principal has to build, how long it takes, and that if we're a decent teacher, that's not on the table. And so as a teacher, I could play, I could keep teaching without my principal's approval. So the power differential is so much less. 
Now, I said that these bullet points were based on my own experiences as a teacher, and I want to dig into that just a little bit more. My career progression, I spent three years teaching physical education, for which I had a master's degree and had been through some phenomenal PE programs. My humble opinion, maybe not so humble, I was a really good PE teacher. But then when we moved, I found myself in a place where it was really hard to get a PE job. So I picked up my special education license and I taught special ed for three or four years and then eventually moved into a middle school social studies position where I earned my national board certification. Now, each of these transitions, each of these areas offered its own unique challenges. I was always a very reflective teacher. I was always driven to succeed, but I also had big blind spots. I still remember distinctly going into my principal's office as part of the contractual evaluation cycle and having some fundamental disagreements with him over the assessment rubric that he'd completed for my formal teaching eval. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. I just thought I was a lot better than what he thought I was. And again, the reality doesn't really matter that much. It was my perception. So there was some tension and points of disagreement there. But here's the thing. The area that I really struggled with, that I knew I needed help with, wasn't on that rubric. It wasn't captured. For too many years in my teaching career, I struggled to connect with young men. I just thought they were arrogant and impulsive and loud and obnoxious. And they were. They are. They're all of those things. But what, I, what it took me too long to learn was that that's their job. That's the job of these young men who are trying to figure out life and trying to figure out what role is going to work for them. They're just trying out all this stuff. And that took me way too long to figure out. And that was my struggle. And the official evaluation process didn't capture any of that. And I don't think my principal ever saw that that was my fundamental struggle and the, the opportunity to help me grow as a teacher. So I draw some lessons from my own experience. First is when we're competent, we can actually lose sight of how complex our craft is. Secondly, we may or may not recognize where our own pain points are. Also, we know what we want, even if what we want may not be the most important thing. So maybe I could have gotten a lot better at questioning techniques or a lot better at managing my classroom, and that would have a bigger impact on more kids. But for me, the most important thing was learning how to connect with those young men. And then finally, in all likelihood, there are elements of our teaching that we know better than anyone who is trying to help us. So how do we grow veteran teachers? Well, we need to put them in the lead. So how do we do that? Through conversations, through understanding what their desires are, what their needs are, and what their goals are. And then as we come to understand those, we can help them actually articulate it and come up with where they want to grow. Help them define what success looks like and then help them identify the resources and map a plan that's going to help lead them to success. In that way, you're becoming the accountability partner, not the evaluator. You're helping them gather data and then holding the mirror up so that they can assess how they've done and what comes next for them. In short, when working with veteran teachers, you need to become the servant. Let's look at a quick example. 
a lot of our veteran teachers have aging parents that they're caring for. So it might be really all too common for you to have a teacher in your building who is struggling to get home and take care of her mom. And maybe she's spending way too much time prepping for lessons. And so she's just becoming really stressed and, and worn out and, and a bit angry maybe and resentful. And so her teaching suffering in multiple ways. But through the conversations, you learn this. And what you keep hearing from her is her frustration about not being able to prep lessons well. You hear that she wants to be a good teacher. She wants good lessons. But she also wants to be able to focus on her mom when she's with her mom instead of trying to figure out what she's going to be doing in school the next day. So our job there is then to help her identify resources and map a plan. So maybe I read something about that or maybe the teachers heard about that and says, I really want to learn this whole approach to batch planning. Okay, then we help get them into a program like that and then act as that accountability partner and help them to grow in success to meet their goals. So there are some cautionary things we need to be mindful of. The first is trauma. There are many teachers who have had traumatic interactions with their administrators around the formal evaluation process, but also around the informal evaluation process. So if you don't know your teachers really well, don't assume that they have a healthy attitude towards the growth process and don't assume if they have a negative attitude that it's because they don't want to get better. In fact, you might want to assume that many of your teachers have been traumatized by the whole process of how we grow teachers in our schools. The second thing is that growth is a process, not an event. Going in and offering an I wonder statement and then never being able to follow up that's not helpful, especially with veteran teachers. If you're going to offer feedback, it needs to be part of a larger extended process. Also, focus on entering the process, coaching processes, based on your capacity. It's better to engage in the process with fidelity with three people and ignore the rest than to do one-offs or be haphazard with 20 people. Know your capacity and choose appropriately. Actually, I did a whole episode called Who Should I Coach? And that was way back in episode number eight. I will put a link in the show notes. Another thing we need to be mindful of is, is that caring is helping people grow in the direction that they want to grow, not that we think they should grow. And to grow veteran teachers, you need to care. The last cautionary note is that you don't know as much as you think you do. We all have biases and gaps, which make our ability to determine the one best thing a teacher needs to work on to be almost an impossible task. None of us knows as much as we think we do. So let's wrap this up and put a bow tie on it. For veteran teachers, we need to hold up the mirror. We need to get to know them, to understand them, their aspirations, triumphs, burdens, and fears. We need to help them clarify their own needs, the things that will allow them to gain more joy from their teaching. We need to help them develop that plan for growth, help them collect and analyze the data around their implementation. And in doing that, then we hold up the mirror with a caring servant's heart. And if you can't do that, then my advice would be 
don't try to grow your veteran teachers. So how do we put this into action? I encourage you to check in with your veteran teachers this week and ask them three questions. First, what is your teaching superpower? Second, what's the biggest difference between who you are as a teacher and who you were when you began? And third, if you could get your students to do one thing differently, what would it be? These questions allow the teacher to identify a strength and think about their positives, then also think about the degree to which they've grown over their career, and then to identify one thing that maybe could be improved. Now, I purposefully asked that last question, if you could get your students to do one thing differently, because I want the teacher to focus on the student behavior. And then from there, we can talk about the actual teaching strategies that would influence that behavior. I think it's just a safer way to go rather than ask our 20-year veteran teacher, what do you want to get better at? Because coming from administrators, that could be interpreted, especially if they've had trauma, it could be interpreted as, what are you bad at? Now, after you ask those questions, don't respond. Don't try to relate to them. Don't paraphrase. Just listen. Just listen and then go back and think. Do this for a week. And then next Tuesday, I'll offer some additional steps to build on what you find out. In the meantime, I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails, which were all about the same theme underlying today's episode, relationships. It was a fun week of emails, so I hope you'll tune in. Thank you for including me on your journey. If you'd like to walk more with me, I have a couple simple ways to do so. You can invest a little bit of time and download our free checklist on building your support network. That checklist is hanging around for three more days and then it's gone. If you don't have a great support network, begin building a better one today by getting the checklist. And each day, you'll also receive some detailed advice about developing that network. If you go to my website at frederickbuskey.com, you'll be met with a pop-up window, plug in your email, and you'll get a link to the checklist. But again, that goes away on Thursday. You can also choose to become a supporting member of our community by contributing $9 a month. You'll get early and unfettered access to our free courses, a discussion area, a library of past content, and the occasional webinar. You'll also be helping me to continue investing both time and money in producing this podcast, writing the daily email, and producing all the other free content. Finally, you can become a full member of our Apex community for $69 a month and join me for monthly group coaching and lots of other perks. You can get details and links for all of these things at my website at frederickbuskey.com. Please remember to subscribe and rate this podcast. Rating the show helps other people find it. And if you want to be a super fan, consider leaving a review. As I record this episode, we're at 17 ratings and four reviews. And this is a great start, but increasing those numbers makes it much easier for other assistant principals to find this show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.